If you have not noticed, this world is not your home. I know some of you have taken a large stake, and you have hammered that stake into the ground. You have tied a rope to it. You have tied it to your foot, says, I am not leaving. You are leaving here. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how deep your stakes go. You are leaving here one day. This place is only a temporary dwelling, but this is not your home. On the 5th of March, we preached on, Will the Greatest One Please Stand? And that was taken from Matthew 18, 1 through 5, where the disciples, Luke records it as well as Mark, where the disciples had gotten into an argument saying, Who was the greatest? And we went through and looked at some passages. Today I'm going to continue with part 2 of that reading verses 5 through 14 of Matthew. Matthew 18, 5 through 14, I'll be reading. So we're going to go a little bit further as Jesus continues to address the issue that the disciples were dealing with. Who would be the greatest? And so as we look at the passage today, I want you to consider, where do you stand in the kingdom of God? Are you in fact in the kingdom of God? It is available to you, but you can't just get there any way you want. It requires you enter a certain way. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as I pray. Today, Lord, we are thankful to you for the devotion service, for allowing us to sing songs of praise and to play for your glory. And as our hearts have been prepared, we pray that you will give us ears to hear the word of God. We pray that you will help us to govern ourselves according to the glorious, mighty word. We thank you that you have given us your word. You have not left us without a word. We pray that we will proclaim it accurately without compromise. We will say what you would have us to say. We give him all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 18... Verses 5 through 14. And this is what it says. Beginning in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Verse number seven. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Let me just pause. The Lord is not talking about self-mutilation now, so don't any of y'all go out and start cutting off limbs. I'm going to make that pause and insert that now. <laughs> Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father 
who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of, the, one of these little ones should perish. Thank you, Sister Michelle. Will the greatest one please stand, part two. When people have ulterior motives, they often do not want their true motives to be revealed until after they have accomplished their goal or goals. And oftentimes, not even then, but they don't care as much if the truth comes out after they have had their way. It is often the thwarting or bringing to the forefront the ulterior motives of people before they have accomplished their goal that much ruin can be stopped. When the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest on the road to Capernaum, it was Jesus who asked them, what they were arguing about on the road. They kept silent. But it was Jesus who knew what they were discussing. The Bible says in Luke that an argument had actually arose among them. They did not want Jesus to know their true motive, which was pride and selfishness. They didn't want Jesus to know that they were arguing over who would be the greatest. That's in Luke chapter 9. You will find that. But Jesus exposed them by bringing to the center and to his side a child, and even possibly an infant. As we have looked at the first five verses a couple of weeks ago, we pick up with verse 6 and our first point, which is standing before the millstone or God. Point one, standing before the millstone or God. I am convinced that many people who have gained influence and financial power in this world, and are wielding their power in destructive ways, will have to give an account one day to the Almighty God. I am convinced that those who have taken their fame and have abused it and and have made crude and cruel remarks and have done cruel things that causes those that are vulnerable to come under their false spell will one day have to give an account to the Almighty God. Those who would lead or would lead new believers or weak believers to sin must begin to think about if they would rather face God or the millstone. While some cultures, such as the Romans and others, practiced taking the worst offenders and tying a millstone around their neck, 18 to 24 inches, and taking them to the sea and dropping them off into the sea. Jesus uses the analogy of taking a large millstone, which was actually used for grinding. A donkey that was used for grinding grain would go around this circle and have this large millstone to grind grain. This is the millstone that Jesus has in mind when he talks about if one offends a small child. It would be better if a person would take a millstone tied around their neck and be dropped 
to the depth of the sea. What does that signify? There is no way, in fact, to really even lift a millstone. There is no way to even get out of it if this was placed on you. You would just sink. And yet people are willing to take a chance when it comes to the Almighty God and facing Him in the judgment. When we think of a person being offended or a person being led astray, the Lord takes it quite seriously. And this is what he's talking to his disciples about. While they're talking about, uh, uh, I'm greater than you and I'm better than you. This is the argument that they were having as they walked to Capernaum. Which of them was the greatest? There was a famous fighter that said, I am the greatest. He did prove it. Initially known as Cassius Clay. Came known as Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I love to watch him and to look at him because not only was he funny, but he also talked a big game. Now, he was one that could talk but back up what he said. But Muhammad Ali is not the greatest. The Lord took a child placed that child before the disciples in the midst, in fact, by his side. And in one of the synoptic gospels, I believe it's Luke, where the Bible says, and the Lord put his, put his arms around that child. If you want to be great, you've got to become like this little child. Now, we know that children are not necessarily innocent in their behavior. We've heard of the terrible twos. We've heard of Terrible twos, and we've heard of kids that have caused havoc, and we think, oh, my goodness. Kids that are left to themselves will be a great menace. Don't let your children raise themselves. I am so concerned today that parents somehow feel that little kids are on the same plane as they are and can argue and talk back to them. Have the parents give them a reason why they've got to do certain things. When I was growing up, it was because I said so. Take that. Having no argument and no debate with my parents about what they told me to do, that was nonsense. That just didn't happen. If I even, I could form the question, perhaps, maybe, mom, dad, if by chance, I could voice to utter a word in your presence. May I please speak? Didn't go that far, but I mean, you get the drift, right? But the issue today when we think about this matter of Jesus bringing the child up, he's not talking about necessarily the wonderful behavior of children, but he's talking about the vulnerability of children. The fact that they have to be cared for, and especially if you think of an infant, totally vulnerable, totally at the mercy of the caregiver. And this is a child that the Lord takes and places this child before the disciples and says, if you want to be great, this is what and how you need to become. Takes the most vulnerable and dependent of the child and says two things. One, You can't enter heaven unless you become like a child. 
That's one of the things that you notice. They're talking about who is great in the kingdom. He said, you can't even enter heaven unless you become like a child. And number two, he says, in order to become great in the kingdom of God, one has to humble himself like the child. The Lord was holding in his arms right in the midst of them. Just like Jesus, just like this child is received, it is the same as one receiving the Lord. Be careful how you treat people. My grandparents, when we were growing up, they, they had a great fear of God. When we would be down in South Carolina during those hot summer months, heat that I was not used to in Marin City, where the fog never seemed to roll away, always a blanket of fog in Marin City, Sausalito until you go about three miles up the road and the temperature automatically goes from 45 to 95. Don't care where you went back east, it was just hot. Humidity. And it's in this place of my grandparents be out there in fields working, but they had a great fear. And there could be thunderstorms that could occur at any moment. You could see the rain a long distance away coming. Hurry, get the clothes off the line. They didn't have no Maytag. They had their own tune out in the out in the in the back with their washing bucket. Mm, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And they would just be singing and washing clothes and hang them up on the line. They didn't go put no one sock in the dryer. They had a great fear. And so when that thunder would come, the thunderstorm would come, there are times we're in the house and they tell us, shh, no talking. God speaking. I wish he wouldn't talk so loud as what I was thinking. That thunder is different down in South Carolina than it is here. That's, that, that thunder there, boy, it's all in your heart. It scares you. You be thinking, God, you coming back, forgive me of all my sins. I know I just repeated it. I repented the morning, but I'm repenting again, just in case you didn't hear me. That thunder make you think. And so they had a great fear of God. Even the kids that lived down the road, they would say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, to their elders. Didn't have to be their parents. Somebody said, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Today you got what? Who are you? Boy, I'd back it. Lord, let me go on. That child would not make it. Now, when they talked about the millstone, these kids who are out of control, kids that you see on television today doing dastardly things, even sometimes taking the life of their parents, they would take the millstone, put, them, put that millstone on that child, and drop that child over into the water. Today, you look at a child wrong. We heard that you emotionally abused your child. You gave them an evil stare. Next time you do that, we'll be back to take you to jail. Lord, have mercy. Going to my house, I close. They bust, my kids sometimes about to get in trouble. Close all the windows. Come here. That's how that went.
The Lord takes the child and places that child in the midst and says, if you want to be great, you've got to be like this child. You need to become vulnerable. And to take care of the child, Jesus is saying, then you are honoring me. In verses 8 and 9 of the passage of Matthew 18, the Lord goes on and he says some things that I'm not going to dwell on today because we addressed that back in the sermon on the mount. It says that if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. When we consider the statement that the Lord makes, and when you think of the Bible, you need to also not just look at the content, but you need to also look at the context in which it is written. There are many people today, when they look at the Word of God, they try to claim every promise as belonging to them and not look at the context in regards to what it was providing or talking about. Give an example in point. If you were to say, well, everything the Lord says, it applies to me as well. Well, maybe a lesson of it, but not necessarily the actual event. You can go and stand by the Red Sea if you want. I don't think the Lord is going to part the Red Sea for you to walk through. It was a time and point that he did it for the Israelites to show his power, and they needed to get to the other side. God did incredible things. So when we think about what God is doing, we need to consider what's the context. What was God doing? What's the lesson that the Lord is teaching? When the Lord talks about that one needs to take extreme measures and uses the measure of one cutting off their hand. And when you look back in actually in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you will note that the Bible says if your right hand offends you, if your right eye offends you, but in the context here and in Mark, the Bible says if your eye, your hand. You see, most people were right-handed. That was the dominant hand. And so if you lost that limb, you were basically almost useless. And when the Lord made the, the statement back dealing with the Beatitudes, it was that if a person lost their most vulnerable part that allowed them to work and to live, you lost that. Do whatever is necessary in order that you do not miss out on the kingdom. And so the Lord here brings up again this matter. He repeats it. So we have twice now where the Lord raises this matter of cutting off the hand, the foot, tearing out the eye if it causes you to sin. Today there are many people that are making excuses where the Lord has not made excuses when it comes to sin. You've got to be extreme in living for the Lord. You have to take, you have to do whatever is necessary to make sure that you are in alignment with the word of God. And so the Lord uses this hyperbolic language. We were talking about that in Sunday school today when Sister Danica was um, teaching. The Lord at times uses hyperbole. He uses very graphic and explicit language when he's making a point. He wants us to get the point. He is dealing with a matter that does not mean literally do this, but do whatever is necessary in order to make it in. So when we think about this matter here, the Lord is saying you've got to go to the extreme and do what's necessary in order 
to make sure you're not living in sin. Now, I want to say, I want to say this before I go to um, the next point, and that is there's a responsibility of the individuals who hear the word of God to do something about it. You see, in the, part, in the first part, the Lord was telling the, the disciples that you've got to treat these children, those that are young in the faith, those that are vulnerable, you've got to do everything that's necessary to take care of them. But then when he gets down to verses 8 and 9, he turns it, and now he takes the application and says, now you. Now, he says that temptations to sin, that's going to come. We, that's right in what we read. I didn't address that. But he said those things are going to come, those things that cause people to sin. But woe to the person by which they come. But then he goes on now and says, if your eye, you've got a responsibility to make sure that you guard yourself. You can't always be pointing the finger at somebody else and say that person and that person, that when you stand before the Lord, you're going to have to give an account for what you've done. Nobody can eat for you. Well, I'm just going, you're just going to eat for me. I'm just going to benefit from today from what you eat. And I, my body should be good. That ain't going to work. You go on and work for me and just bring me the money. I'll just take your money today. I don't think so. And I may be different for your spouse. But when we think about this matter here, you've got a personal responsibility to do what's necessary. You can't always be pointing your finger. Hey, I can't get no breaks. I can't do. Yes, you can. Do whatever is necessary. You see, if there's something that's of value that you really want, you do whatever is necessary to obtain it. If you want that nice little car or whatever, you're going to do what's necessary to get it. You, you, you're going to try to save? I hope so. You, you're going to try to work extra? You're going to try to do whatever is necessary to make sure you make monthly payments so the repossessor does not come to your house. So we do what the things that we want to do. Well, we have to take the same tenacity when it comes to living for the Almighty God. The Bible stresses that there really is a place called hell. And whatever extreme measure one needs to take to avoid going there, one needs to do it. And so when the Lord talks about children and talks about a millstone, in this life you would rather have to face these things rather than the king of glory and give an account for what you've done that have led people away. Point number two, and I'll soon be out of here. The importance of one person to God. The importance of one person to God. When you look at verse number 10, look at verse number 10. It refers, it refers back, actually, to verse number 6. It says, uh, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Verse number 6, whoever receives one such child in my name. So verse 10 actually refers back to 6. In verse 10, we again see the value that Jesus places on the vulnerable. While Jesus uses a child as a teaching lesson, the lesson is spiritually applied to those who stumble or can be led astray. When you're looking at the passage that Jesus gives to his disciples, what he is focusing on is that people that are vulnerable or in one of the Greek words talks about one that could stumble, one that could be led astray. If a person is leading a person astray, one needs to be very, very, very careful. So it is talking about the matter of stumbling, being led astray. And that's what happens with children, that one can be damaged, their faith can be damaged, and, and you can take advantage of those that are young in the faith. The Bible says be very careful. 
Because not only is it dangerous, the Bible says that the angels are in the presence of the Almighty God, observing. You see, I think one of the tragic things today, when people try to say mostly, many times in politics and many groups, I don't know if I'm stepping some toes in this place today. People talk about and advocate abortion, talk about women's choice about abortion. And we consider that the vulnerable child has no voice. And that is the right to take the life of a child and to then say that it is only choice. Or they're not really a child until a certain point. Well, let me ask you this. If you were having a child, what part of the development cycle, what stage would you be okay skipping in the womb for your child? What trimester, what month would be okay to eliminate and you say you would be okay with if it really isn't a child? Ask them that question. I don't think anyone would be okay saying, oh, I'm cool with missing a few weeks of the developmental cycle. When we consider politicians and many funding abortion and saying it's all right and taking lives, the Lord says it would be better to have a millstone tied around the neck. This millstone that only a donkey could turn, something that you couldn't even struggle your way out, you would sink straight to the bottom than to be before the Almighty God. God says one person to him is valuable. Day when we consider life and death, people willing to take the life of a child, but then cry out when there's a war, when people are trying to kill you, that somehow you shouldn't try to kill them. Oh, no, no, we shouldn't try to do that, but take the child's life. It's backwards. We got to consider that when you read the word of God, God's word is right. People don't protect the child. They expose the child to danger. And then talk about how free they are in society. It's the trick of the enemy and a lie straight from the pit. The passage that the Lord used about how valuable a child is, even dealing, talking about the babes that are just coming to the Lord. When we consider this passage, the angles here, the Bible says that the angels are looking at the face of God. It didn't say what they're seeing. But we know that if there's mistreatment for those that are coming to the Lord, that God is observing. The Lord goes on to talk about if a person has even has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep goes astray. Now, when the Bible talks about this matter here, the Bible is saying that one sheep goes astray. That shepherd is willing to leave the 99 sheep on the hill and go after the one. Now, the 99 that are on the hill is not necessarily left alone. Maybe there's a temporary helper or a shepherd that is helping that child or helping the sheep. So the sheep are in the care temporarily of another while the shepherd goes in search for one sheep. Now, there's a twist that I want you to note. The going astray is believed by some commentators to actually mean, from how it is phrased in the original, that the sheep was actually led astray by deception. It was not the sheep that just seemed to eat its way 
away from the group and kind of like, oh, where am I now? It was enticed away by deception. And the shepherd goes after that sheep because it's vulnerable. It can be discouraged. It can be hurt. It can be harmed. And so it is important that the shepherd or someone goes after that one sheep. I want you to note another thing. Not only does the shepherd go after the sheep and rejoices when he finds it, the possibility is that the sheep may not be found. There's the assumption that when the shepherd goes, he's going to find the sheep. But the rejoicing comes in the fact that when he finds it, He's happy because it was a possibility that it could have been killed or not able to be found. And so as a result, he now rejoices and brings that sheep back. And another passage talks about he calls his neighbors and his friends and rejoices over the one. Do you not know you are valuable to God? He came just for you. He left the 99 and came after you because you had strayed. Your value is incredible to God. And this is the story and the example that the Lord is laying before the disciples when they were talking about who's going to be the greatest. You see, there's a, there's a heavy price tag when one talks about greatness. You see, to become great, one has to become a great servant. In order to become great, one has to become a great follower. To become great, one has to become a great listener and a follower after God. People in the world think they're great today because they have, a, you know, attained status and fame in the world. But that's fleeting. Let them do a few things to blow it and that status will plummet. But when you blow it with the Lord, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we think about the sheep that goes astray, it's the shepherd that goes after. That's why it's important. When somebody may be led astray by someone and you might be, wait a minute, you might be influencing someone to do wrong. And you are causing that person who may be weak in their faith to go down a place that they shouldn't go. Watch what you do in your influence. You've got to be careful because the Lord is watching. Be careful who you might get upset with and try to lead a person to, to your side in a way that's against what God is saying and doing. Because of them being vulnerable. And you lead them in a place and a way and God is watching. Now this is what the disciples have to contend with as they consider who's the greatest. That's why one of the things I'm so glad when the Lord asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? They couldn't even answer. They wouldn't answer. They became silent. Why? Because they were embarrassed because of what they were discussing. Who's the greatest? I told you, I told you a couple of weeks ago, as I bring this to a close, Peter and James and John probably said, well, hey, we was up on the mountain transfiguration. Yeah, I want you all to know Jesus, poof, changed right in front of us. We are right there with him. Take that. I say, we're the greatest. The Lord told me, Peter says, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the one. That, Jesus told me that flesh and blood has not revealed 
this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Peter says, I know I'm the greatest because I heard directly from God. In the next verse, the Lord saying, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) When he tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross, the way up is often down. The disciples have a great lesson to learn. And as we continue on next week, we're going to be taking a look at the next part. And we talk about what it means to deal with forgiveness. You got to remember this. The Lord's arms are probably still around this child as he's teaching his disciples this lesson about greatness. This child is being held and embraced by the Lord as an object lesson of what it means to be great is to become a servant. Bow your heads. Lord, our values need to be like what the Bible says. Rather than seeking the fame of the world, we need to seek the love, the glory, and mercy of the Almighty God. Today, we are grateful that you have allowed us to be in this place. We pray that while this may be, have been a hard-hitting word, we recognize that your word is true. We don't compromise a word. We don't try to be politically correct. In order to have people hear what their ears want to hear, but we say what the Lord says. Truth can be painful, yet it's the very thing that brings honor and glory to the king and helps us in our life. We pray today that we will be responsible people, people of integrity, people for the kingdom, that we won't be arguing about who's the greatest, but oh my God, that we will learn to serve each other because why we're serving the lord god almighty thank you right now for your loving kindness and your mercy and power we honor you and give you all the glory and praise in jesus name amen may the lord bless you as you go this day we'll see you later this week at bible study